We're going to be over in the book of Exodus, chapter 13 and 14, this morning. But the story goes that it was a December night in 1903, or December day in 1903. And after many, many attempts, the Wright brothers had finally gotten a plane off the ground. And so they put together a telegraph and they sent it to their sister, Catherine. Here's what it said. It said, we have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. So Catherine hurried one over to the newspaper editor, showed him the telegraph, and the newspaper editor looked at that, and he said, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. How often we can miss the main thing for something trivial. We've been looking at patience. We've been looking at the things that we can add into our life. And the things that the Word of God instructs us in the area of patience, sometimes we can miss the obvious. We can miss the things that He's trying to teach us. And we go off for something that wasn't as important. But as we've been looking at these, these things that we can add into our life, we look first at joy. The joy we can add into our life. We don't have to pray to God. We don't have to say, God, add joy to my life. God showed us the things that we can do to make our joy full. And then if our joy is full, we have strength. So if we lack strength, we need to pray. We're not pray. We need to do what we need to do to get joy. Because joy brings strength into our life. After that, we looked at peace. We saw that peace did two things. One, it was a stabilizer. It stabilizes your life, guards you, protects you. And then it also helps make decisions. Word of God says, let the peace of God umpire your life. Basically make decisions between yes or no. Then we started on patience. One of the most, one of the great misconceptions that people have, and maybe you have heard a message or two of this, is that you should not pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, nothing but trouble and tribulation is coming your way. Have you ever heard that preached? Yeah, that's wrong. Why would God want something in your life that he'd make you afraid to pray for it? That's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? We looked at uh, James last week. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And we emphasized the part last week that it is not the test or trial that produces patience. Because if tests and trials produce patience, how many of us would be at the head of the class? The reason that we have patience is because it is the testing of our faith. If we drop faith, if we fall out of faith, then there is nothing to be gained. We must stay in the area of faith. And then when we go through the test or trial, staying in faith, our patience grows. You only have as much faith as you have patience. We need to increase our patient level if we're going to increase our, our faith. So he said, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He spent some time looking at why we should count it all joy last week. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be com perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to, to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. 
For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So he begins to talk about wisdom after this. If you don't have wisdom, ask for it. And most of the time that we are in a situation where our patience is being tested and tried, it's because we don't know what to do. We're wondering, how, how do I handle this? What do I do about it? What we're going to do this week is we're going to take a look at a story. And I was amazed at how few times we've actually looked at this story. We have looked at it. Last time was about four years ago. But I would have thought that we would have actually covered this a little bit more. But we have not. So um, we're going to take a look at Exodus chapter 13 and Exodus chapter 14. I put in your outline, a big reason we lose patience and fall from faith is pressure. How many have ever felt pressure? How many felt pressure this week? Things are going on in your life, things at work, you're feeling pressure. Pressure causes us to move. It causes us to change. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. What he's saying is, these folks are wimps. That's what he's saying about them. He said, if we take them right to the direction where they face war, they'll, they'll bail out. So we've got to take them in a direction where they won't face war. And we can build them up on their faith. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under Solomon, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So the time that they leave... From that day on, they have a pillar of fire at night. They have a cloud during the day. This is what they got. Every single day. Now, the reason for this is at, in the daytime, if you are in the wilderness, you got a heavy sun beating down on you. So what he does is he puts a big umbrella over them and keeps them protected. And wherever they go, here's this cloud. But at nighttime, that cloud turns into a pillar of fire. That fire does a lot of things. Lights them up. Lights up so they can see what's going on. Because I'm sure they didn't have flashlights. Lights it up. It uh, provides warmth. Because if you have no cloud cover up there, it, the, the warmth can just kind of go. So that pillar of fire is providing warmth. You've got warmth at nighttime. And if you are an enemy and you come over and you see this group of people and there's a pillar of fire over it, what are you going to do? I think we ought to go someplace else. I don't know what that pillar of fire is. So every day they had a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. We're thinking, well, I don't like cloudy days all the time. You might appreciate it a whole lot more if you're in the wilderness. So they had this going on every single day. Every single day the presence of God was there. Every single day. It said he didn't take it away. Even when he was mad at them. He still had the cloud. He still had the fire. This was going on all the time. So from the time they leave, God is doing miracles right there for them. How many of you like to live in that atmosphere? 
But you see, no matter what it is that God provides for us on a daily basis, it does not take us long to get used to it. To where we actually just say, well, this is just how it always is. We take it for granted. I dare say that many Christians, even after they come into the presence of God and the Spirit of God filling their life, can come to a place where we take it for granted. Well, this is just how it is. This is just what the presence of God feels like. And we forget. Well, he goes on. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Phiharioth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army. And the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, don't get confused by that. You know what it's in the Word of God says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That is not God actually hardening Pharaoh's heart. To the Hebrew, if God does not actively stop something, God did it. And so what happens is, back when the, the uh, plagues, is that God had stops in there for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh blew through them all. And God said, all right, if you don't want to listen to any of the stops I have, you, can, you just want to keep hardening your heart, fine. Go ahead and harden your heart. I'm removing all the stops. And he let him harden his heart all he wanted to, to the point that Egypt was almost devastated. So to the Egyptians, the Israelites appear lost. They don't know the plan. They don't know God's plan. Do not expect the world to know what God's plan is. And when they see you following God's plan, don't expect them to realize, oh, this is such good things that you're doing. They will laugh at you. They will think that you are lost. They will not understand what it is that you are doing. But if you are following the plan of God, though it may look like you are wandering in the wilderness, you are not. Verse 5, Now it was told the king of Egypt that the, that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now notice it's plural. It's not just Pharaoh. Why have we done this? Why have we done it? Because the land was hit with ten plagues, and the last one took all of our firstborn. That's why we let them go. But how quickly we forget. They said, no, we, we need to bring them back because they were serving us. They were building all kinds of things. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of the Pharaoh king of Egypt. And he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Phiharoth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, it'd be good if it stopped there. It doesn't. But it'd be good. You know, if you were afraid of something, if you cried out to the Lord, if it stopped there, that'd be great. But they didn't. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? It's your fault, Moses. 
It's your fault. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. One of the great characteristics of carnal people, people that are supposed to be serving God, but are in actuality carnal, even ones who claim to be spiritual. Here's how you can tell a carnal person. They are really up and then they are really down. Then they are really up, then they are really down about the things of God. Look at this. Look how Israel did this. When Moses first comes to Egypt, what does he say to them? I'm the deliverer. God has sent me. And they're all excited, right? Oh, this is great. This is great. We've been waiting for this. Super going out there. Tell Pharaoh and we'll get out of here. And so they go and Pharaoh doesn't respond real well. And he stiffens the penalty and makes them have to get their own straw. And they come back and they're mad at Moses. You need to go away. And they said these things to him. Just let us alone. We're just going to stay here and, and serve, serve Egypt. Even though they've been complaining about it to God for years. Now they're back down again. And so Moses even gets himself down. He goes before God and God shows him the plan again and says, all right, we've got to stay with this thing. And so he goes back out there. Does all the plagues. And at the end of the last plague, they're ready to, to ship them off and they send them off with gold. Now the children of Israel are happy. They are glad. Oh, we're so glad we stuck with this. We're so glad we stayed with this. All right, we're now going to get out of here. And so then they go. And then they leave. And then as they go and they come into the Red Sea, then they get sad again because Pharaoh is pursuing them. So they're happy. They're sad. They're happy. They're sad. They're happy. Now we're just going to keep on going this way. They're going to get on the other side of the Red Sea and they're going to sing songs. They're going to dance and they're going to be happy. Then the very next chapter after that, they're going to come into a place that doesn't have any water. And they're going to be sad. Then they're going to run out of food. Of course, the water comes, they're happy. Then they run out of food and they're sad. And then manna comes and they're happy. Then they get tired of the manna and they're sad. And then they come to a battle and they're sad. Then they win the battle and they're happy. Then they come to another battle, and they're sad. Then they come to the promised land, and they're happy. And then they send spies in. And the spies said, oh man, this is, they got giants in there. And they're sad. And then Moses rebukes them, and, then got, and tells them that God says, all right, fine, you're not going to go in, you're going to wander the wilderness for 40 years. Now they're sad. Then they decided to get happy that the promise of God was to take them in. So we're going to go in. We changed our mind. We're going to go in. And so they go on in happy. But God says, I haven't sent you in there. You're going to lose. And they go in. They fight the battle and they lose. And what happens? They're sad. Up and down. Up and down. How is Moses throughout all this? He's steady. Why? Because Moses is a spiritual one. Just because people can get super excited about the things of God does not mean they are spiritual. You're looking for steadiness. That's what it is. Moses was steady. The children of Israel are up and down. Up and down. Don't be that way. Don't follow after the example of the children of Israel. 
It is not a good example. Now it appears to Israel, it appears first of all to Egypt, that they're lost. They don't know where they're going. It appears to Israel that Moses has led them into a trap. Because now they got the Red Sea and they got Pharaoh's army pursuing them and they don't have any place to go. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. How many like that verse? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Yeah, God won't always tell you that. <laughs> we like to hear that all the time. Stand still. Because there's nothing better than doing nothing. And having God fight the whole battle for you. But God does not always say stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He did it here. But there's other times he said, no, go and fight them. And as they go and fight them, he's going to bring about deliverance. What you have to do is listen to what God says. What God says, you go out there and you do it. And you get excited about it because God said to do it. So, do not be afraid. How many times have you heard that in the Word of God? We've gone over this with you just about every time we see it. But you've got to get this, got to get this down. Do not be afraid means it is your choice. It is not God's choice. It is not a choice that is put upon you. It is your choice to be afraid. So if you face something this week, last week, in the weeks to come, and you are afraid, just tell yourself, I decided. Because the Word of God says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. How many of you are looking at a problem? That problem's got you afraid. It can get you shaking a little bit. It can get you messed with your peace, messed with your joy. It's trying to rob you of all these things. What if the thing that you are looking at that is giving you so much trouble is not even going to be here tomorrow? What if that's the case? It's ridiculous for you to be, be fretting over it. So this is what Moses tells the people. You see these Egyptians? You will not see them after today. They will be gone. And they will be gone forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. God does not like crybabies. You need to grow up and get over it. Stop crying to God all the time about everything. And just come to God and say, Father God, we're facing a problem here. I thank you that you have the answer. James tells me if I don't have wisdom, ask you and you give it to me. So, Father, I thank you that you give me wisdom in the situation as to what to do. Because I don't know what to do. And God says, all right, faith. That's what we want. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. They haven't found out yet. 
all the stuff with the gnats and the frogs and the darkness and the boils and the hail and the water turning to blood and the list goes on. All these things that they, they don't know yet. Well, apparently not because they're coming against them. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. Now, most of the time that we see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, he is called the angel of the Lord. Here we have the angel of God. Now, do you remember further on down as we hear the history of Israel that God got mad with Israel and he said, Moses, I am not, my presence will not go up with the children of Israel anymore. I will send an angel. And Moses said, nope, 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 nope. Not change, we're not changing the terms. The terms of our agreement was that you were going to come with us. I am not releasing you from that. You need to come with us. And so God still continued to go with them. So if the presence of God is with them, this is Jesus Christ. The angel of God is the angel of the Lord. And he is before them. So he gets between Israel And Egypt. And the angel of God went, who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus there was a cloud and darkness to the one. And it gave light by night to the other. So that one did not come near the other all that night. So the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, uh, put himself between Egypt and Israel. To one, he became darkness. To the other, he became light. Isn't it the same thing that we have today? We were looking at that on Wednesday night. The things of the Spirit cannot be understood by the world. Cannot be understood by the world. What comes as light to you is darkness to others. Darkness. They could not move. They could not do what they wanted to do against Israel because of this darkness that was there. But on the other side, there was light. And Israel had light. And the two could not meet because God doesn't want them to meet yet. So if you are Israel, you got the army on one side, you got the Red Sea on the other. And you got the Spirit of God separating between you. Angel of the Lord, He's right there. But this is a pressure spot because if you looked at the layout of this land, there is, there's no way they can go to the left or to the right. they got the Red Sea in front of them. So to them, we have no boats. We can't go forward. All we have is the Egyptian army behind us and we don't want to go that direction. How many of you would feel pressure in there? Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, all chariots, and his horsemen. So while he is being this barrier between them, all that night, he sends a wind. Have you ever seen a wind that would take 
the Red Sea. And, you know, the people that write about this saying it was a very shallow part of the Red Sea, that it was not during flood season, therefore it wasn't all that deep. The water was deep enough to drown an entire army. If the water is deep enough to drown an entire army, it's too deep for them to cross. Now, some time ago, we spent some time looking at the actual, not the traditional, but the actual site where they crossed. Because the traditional site is not true. But there is an actual site where they crossed. At this actual site, they found chariot wheels dating back to this Egyptian period. If you ever want to go through and and look this up, and it's a fantastic read. If you, no matter what kind of books that you like to read, this was a fantastic read. But it actually went through and two guys went into the area where this was and uh, checked it out. It's called um, uh, The Gold of Egypt. Or oh, The Gold of Exodus. Thank you. Darrell corrects me on that before too. Thank you for being there and helping me out. I, I thought I had it right this time. You look at the wrong book if I go by the first one. The Gold of Exodus. So look that up. And it actually goes through the entire thing where they, they look at the right Mount Sinai because traditional Mount Sinai is not the true Mount Sinai. There's actually one that fits in a whole lot better. And if you go back to this crossing of the Red Sea, you actually find pillars that Solomon made commemorating the crossing. Made by Solomon to commemorate the, the crossing. There are some really neat things about this crossing that we are not going to get into. But if you want to read the book, it is a really fun book. And you would enjoy that. And it talks about a lot of things that happened during the wilderness period. But he stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. We've never seen that before because it's not natural. Not a natural occurrence for, for water to do this. It doesn't just part. And we're not just talking about a little sliver of a, a party. If you go back in this book, he will show you that the, uh, the, the evidence that the area that they crossed over was about a mile wide. A mile wide area for two to four million people to cross over. Now it says that the waters were a wall. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 8, this is when they're singing praises and so forth. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. And by the Hebrew... We can tell from this that what he's actually referring to is that the walls that were on the side, that the water had actually frozen. They were frozen solid. That all night the the wind blew and froze the water solid. Dried out the land, froze the water solid. So when you're walking on through, you're seeing ice. You're not seeing just a wall of water. And that's what they walked through. Now, I'll take, let me ask you this. If you were one of the children of Israel and you had a choice and you, for the first time in your life, saw a sea. We're not talking a river. We're talking the Red Sea. Split apart and freeze on both sides. How many of you are walking through? I'll put it to you this way. Let's say that something happens to Niagara Falls. And something happened upstream. And Niagara Falls is stopped. The waters are not coming down. You don't know why they're stopped. They're just not coming down. And you uh, look over the falls and you see it's all dry. How many of you are walking across the falls? 
Because you know if that water starts up again, it's coming in even more, more of a rush than it was before, right? How many of you are going to walk across the falls and just kind of hope that the water doesn't start? Are you, are you thinking twice about it? Yeah. Well, the children of Israel, for their credit, we don't hear any grumbling about going in. Of course, they didn't have too many other places to go. Maybe that helped them out. Verse 24. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now it's translated here in verse 25 that he took off their chariot wheels. The actual Hebrew is they became bogged down. They may be bogged down in the mud. Now again, when Israel went over, it is dry ground. That can be dry ground two ways. One, it can be dry ground that all the water was dried up from the air that was being blown through. Or two, it could be dry ground the same way that the walls were water, the ground had frozen. And if the ground was frozen and God did it, how, much, how easy would it be for God just to thaw some of that area, cause those chariot wheels to get bogged down in the mud? However it was, the Egyptian army recognized God is fighting for them. This doesn't normally happen. But it's happening now. God is fighting for them. This is not good. This is not good for us to be in this situation. We don't like this. We want to get out. So they decide to go back. But can you imagine the, the Egyptian army? You're coming against the, the nation of Israel. The God has already sent ten plagues upon the land. The last one took the firstborn. And you chase them out. And now you're coming after them. And God has been a pillar of darkness to you and a pillar of light to them. Stood there in between. You couldn't get there. Now all of a sudden you can and the children of Israel has took off and they have gone through the Red Sea that for the first time you've ever seen, first time, never saw this before. The waters split apart and froze. And you're thinking, we can get them now. <laughs> Would you not realize, you know, if, if this God can send these plagues, if this God can send darkness, if this God can, can part the Red Sea, do we really want to pursue them? Your enemies will do some very stupid things to try and bring you down. Don't ever let it fret you. Don't ever let it get you concerned. Because all, that, all that's going to happen is God is going to use it to bring them down and to protect you. Don't ever fret about it. The children of Israel said, you brought us into a trap. And God says, no, I just brought you into a place where we're going to take care of this, uh, this army. Because if we do not, God does not take care of the Egyptian army now. And the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. He's going to send them again. But right now, I have got a mechanism. We're going to, we're going to show some strength. And we're going to wipe these people out. <laughs> 
And they will not come again. And you can wander all you want to. Because everyone's going to know the God of Israel closed the Red Sea on the most powerful army in the world and drowned them. And they're going to leave you alone, at least for a while. <laughs> Just because it may seem that people at work are trying to set a trap for you doesn't mean God doesn't know what's going on. In Psalms chapter 77, verse 16, it reads this way, The waters saw you, O God, the waters saw you, and they were afraid. The waters were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in a whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. Frightened about this crossing. Your way was in the sea. Children of Israel couldn't see that way initially. Your path in the great waters and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let them right on through. Just know that God has a way for you to get through what it is you're going through, but it will be death to your enemies. It will be destruction for your enemies. Back to Exodus 14, verse 26. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. Now notice Moses has to do something. God doesn't just do it. He first tells Moses, Stretch out your hand, take the rod, stretch it out, and the, the waters parted. Then afterwards he says, Stretch out your hand again over the sea, and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses oh yeah now you do now you do because you saw this great thing happening but you see Israel was in a pressure situation in a pressure situation like that their faith is being tested what does James say about it? Count it all joy when your faith is being tested. When you encounter various tests and trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How much patience did Israel get out of this test? None. Because they didn't stay there in faith. It produced no patience for them at all. It produced no endurance in the least. Not a bit. Because as soon as the pressure came upon them, what were they ready to do? Cry out to God, complain to Moses, fuss, nothing good. That's not patience. You've got to let patience have its perfect work.
which doesn't mean, since a lot of times we look at patience and we say, well, patience just means that when people are doing stupid stuff that you just, you just put up with it. That's patience. That patience means it just, well, you know, you don't fly off and become, uh, uh, and have a temper. That's a different character quality. It's a good one to have, but it's a different, different character quality. What patience is talking about here in James is endurance. That when the pressure comes, that you endure. You don't bail. You don't leave what God told you to do. You stay with what he said. And Israel doesn't have that because they don't have any patience. And so this test and trial produced nothing in them. Did not help them. It was supposed to. This and a few others. Not having any water, not having any food. These were all supposed to be tests and trials that they would go through that would produce patience so that when they come to the promised land, once they walk into the promised land, instead of bailing, instead of being afraid, they say, we can do this. But instead, ten of the spies said, we can't do it. And all of Israel said, we can't do it. We can't do it. They had no patience because going through the tests and trials that they did didn't help them. That's where a lot of us are. We're going through tests and trials, but it's not producing any patience. It's not helping us at all because we keep bailing. We keep letting our mind go off in the wrong direction. We keep complaining to God. We keep complaining to people. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. You hang on to what the Lord had said to do. And that's where Israel is missing it. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Have you been led into a trap? Traps are for the enemy, not children. Traps are for the enemy. God does not set up traps for his kids. Now, if we look through this, we see that they, the first off, there was a way into pressure. That the children of Israel found a way into pressure. That God was leading them into a spot. It was a pressure situation. But there was a way through the pressure. They had a way to pass through this pressure. They had a way to get through it. God knew it. They had to be revealed to it. Now, as we look here at the, the end, there is a way of wisdom. There is a way of wisdom. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He's talking about tests and trials. Tests and trials are going to produce something in you. They can produce patience. They can produce fear. They can produce doubt. All kinds of things they can produce. But let patience have its perfect work. And he says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. They didn't have wisdom. Moses was given the wisdom. But you see, as soon as they came into a situation, and as soon as they were able to put together things, we got something on our left, we got something on our right. We got the Red Sea in front of us, and we got the army of Egypt behind us. As soon as they fell into that situation and they felt the pressure, what's the first thing out of their mouth? Moses, this is your fault. Moses, you did this. We told you to leave us alone. But no, you got to keep going on. You got to keep going in this direction. You see, when you get into a pressure situation, you become critical. You become critical of the people around you. If you reach a pressure situation at work, you become critical of your boss. You become critical of your coworkers. 
You can become critical of your suppliers. You can become critical of all kinds of folks that are involved that set up that pressure situation. And you become critical of them. That's not asking God for wisdom. That's just giving in to critical, to the, to the spirit of being critical. That's not right. Constantly we see in the church, in businesses, in families, wherever it is that you go, whenever we hit a pressure situation, instead of hanging on to what God said to do, what do we do? We become critical. In families, we become critical of each other. In businesses, we become critical of the employees and the bosses and the situations that we're at. Church, we become critical of leaders. Here in the children of Israel, they became critical of Moses. They became critical of their leaders. How many times were they facing situations? They faced lack of water, lack of food. They faced war. They faced situations. And every time, they became critical of the people who led them into it. The people who were ahead of them. Why? Why do we do that? Because patience has not had its work and we cannot stay in the area of faith because our patience doesn't allow us to stay there. We, we feel the pressure and we feel like I've got I to gotta move because that's what pressure does. Pressure causes you to move. It's trying to move you off of where you are. It's trying to move you off of that scripture. It's trying to move you off of that promise. It's trying to move you off of whatever it is that God has said. It's trying to disrupt your life. Do not let it happen. Let patience have its perfect work. If Israel would have let patience have its perfect work, they would have come to Moses and they would have said, Moses, we know that God is leading you. I mean, we had the pillar of fire. We had the cloud. We know that God is leading you. We know that God led you here. We don't know why we are in this place that looks like a trap. But we trust you. And we trust God. Brother Keith Moore had this statement. Uh, it stuck with me. You probably have heard him uh, make the mention of it before. But three words. Time, tests, trust. Time, tests, trust. The more time we are in a situation, the more time we are believing God and not seeing the result the more our trust of God is tested. Time tests trust. Israel's not even in this situation for a day. And they're already freaking out. You've been in some situations longer than that. Well, your patience level has been built up, but it's got to get stronger. It's got to get stronger. You've got to get to that spot where no matter how much pressure comes against you, you don't give in. You don't give in. If you want to get up to the Elijahs and the Elishas and the Pauls and the uh, Moseses and the Joshuas, and when you got to their level, they had a whole lot of patience. And they could stay put even though pressure was coming all around. Pressure. They're feeling pressure here. When we are, I put this in your outline for you because I want you to make sure you got it. We are constantly critical of leaders, those God has given gifts to, or those functioning in a role in service to God. We are usurping the authority of God by judging his decisions to give that gift, elevate that leader, or use that person in service. 
Now, that's not a new statement. That's exactly what I wrote to you about four years ago. We are constantly under pressure to let go of our faith and to embrace our flesh. And Israel is a walking example of what will happen if that's what you do. Don't be doing it. Hang on to it. What would have happened if Israel would have approached Moses and said, Moses, we know that God has selected you for this purpose. We respect whatever it is that you say. What do you, what do you want us to do? I'll tell you, things would have been so much different for Israel. So much different if we, they would have approached it that way. But they didn't. They complained. God still came through for them. But they complained. But patience did not have its perfect work. They did not get developed. They didn't do it. i put this in your outline here for you. This is an important principle to get. When second-guessing his wisdom in these areas, why would we also receive his wisdom in our own situations? If I am going to second-guess, if I'm a children of Israel, and I'm going to second-guess the wisdom of God he's given to Moses, why in the world is God going to speak to me about my life? Why would he do that? How, how can God speak his wisdom to me when I reject it in someone as time-tested as Moses? How would I do that? Don't second-guess his wisdom. And he said, now, understand this. How many of you have ever had a boss? Maybe you have one right now. Don't raise your hand about that. But how many of you have ever had a boss in your past, some other time, a boss you didn't like? Boss you did not like. Did not enjoy this boss. Did not like this boss. His personality was, was but he's your boss. She's your boss. Those person is in authority over you. And you want God to work, it, work with you and give you wisdom? And what it is you're doing, if you keep second-guessing a boss you don't like, why do you think your situation is going to change? You need to quit doing it. If you keep second-guessing the people that God has put in your life to help you, the wisdom that God has spoken through them, why do you think God is going to speak anything different to you? Well, amen. It's so anyway. Stop complaining about your bosses. I've told you my story. I learned that, you know, there's a number, number of times I was complaining about bosses. And uh, it's, it's just not a good thing to do. It's not a good thing to do. You, you, can't, you can't get in there. You might even be right. You might even be right. One situation I had is, you know, I'm working over at uh, Ken's Pizza. And, and working in there, and we had, a, we had a bad manager. How bad this manager was, he was fired a few months after I started there. He's the guy who hired me. But he was fired a few months after words for dealing drugs out in the back behind the restaurant. That's what he was fired for. I don't know what else he was doing, but he was doing those kind of things. And they, we just came in one time and he's gone. He's not there. So we had a situation. I was working a day shift. I'm not sure why. I think we were off from school that day and so they needed help on the day shift. And I was in there on the day shift. And we had me. We had a one waitress who became a very good friend of mine. And a new guy. I'm only a couple months in there, but I had more experience than him. He's a new guy. He's like his first week. And so we faced an incredibly busy lunch. Incredibly busy lunch. With two cooks, a waitress, and a manager. 
And the one cook is only good for washing dishes because he doesn't know how to do anything. Doesn't know a thing about the restaurants. He's just starting there. And so we were, we were going through. We made it through the, the lunch. And so, you know, afternoon crew, you've got to clean up from the lunch. You've got to do all the prep for the nighttime people. And so we're, we're getting ready for, for that. We're trying to set things out. How are we going to get all this done? We're, we're short people. We should have had more people. We should have had another waitress in at least. We should have had another cook in at least. We didn't have them. And then afterwards, you know, it was about 1.30. We're, the place is a mess. Dishes all over. There are no clean dishes to, to, to serve anybody. No prep is done. We got, we got a lot of things to do. And our manager, this is what he turns to us and he looks and says, Well, guys, I hate to do this to you, but I have to go. And he left. So now we have one waitress who had been there a couple of years, and um, a number of years actually, and, and then me, I've been there a couple of months, and a brand new cook. Now that's a bad situation. We could grumble and complain. I think we did. <laughs> I think we did some grumbling and complaining about it. That how are we supposed to get all this stuff done? And um, now here's the, the real nasty part is once a week we would get a semi-truck that would pull up out back and deliver all the food for the week. All the flour, all the cheese, all the meat, all the stuff we needed except for produce came on this truck. Everything. Dry goods, you name it, it came on this truck. They were coming that afternoon. So we know that this, these groups were coming. And so, um, well, you know, you ask God for wisdom. God gave us wisdom what to do. And so here's what we did. We divided it up, and um, Chris, the waitress, she, uh, she said, I can run the front. So she answered the phone, took care of all the people coming in the restaurant, made all the pizzas, cooked all the pizzas, answered the, whatever had to be done. If it was in the front, she took care of the entire thing. She ran the entire front by herself. Then we had um, we had newbie. You know, what are we going to have newbie do? So we put newbie into different things. So you just do this, and we gave him chore here and chore there. And so um, just get ready for the 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 prino order coming in. I did some dishes, get them caught up, and then I moved everything out to get ready for the prino. And the leprino came, and we were able to put the order away, and we were able to wash all the dishes, and we even mopped the floor. And so 4:30 in the afternoon, 4:30 quarter to five, somewhere around there. Our manager comes walking on in, and he looks around, and his first words out of his mouth was, what happened? Did the prino not come? The order. And I looked at him and says, no, it came. And just nonchalantly went on about our thing, and, and we all left, and, and that was it. That, to me, is still one of the best experiences I had there, that, and it could have been one of the worst. Why? Because instead of panic, you let the tests and trials have their perfect work and patience. I've got other stories I didn't come through quite that well. <clears throat> but that one I did okay on, and we came through in the in the the day all right. Let patience have its perfect work. Instead of sitting around grumbling and complaining, let it have its perfect work. You know what ended up happening? That manager got fired. We were the first this is the chain, first chain restaurant in the history of that organization who ran itself without a manager for a period of two to three months. We had no manager. We ran it ourselves. And every single person in there got more experience at uh, what to do in the management area. And when they finally came on down, 
the uh, area general manager came on by, and uh, he, he, I got on his radar. And he, uh, he actually told the person who took over, he says, do this and this and this with Steve. And I got raises, and I got higher positions, and all kinds of things came out of, of that because of this guy being fired. Just because you've got a trial in, in front of you doesn't mean that it's going to be bad for you. But if you don't let patience have its perfect work, it will be bad for you. But it can be good. Don't sit around and criticize the people that God has put in your life to help you. Church leaders, how many of y'all know you've had church leaders that you like? You had church leaders that you don't. It doesn't mean that God won't speak to them. It doesn't mean that God won't use them. You've got to speak to them with respect. You've got to listen to what they had to say. Because God will use them in your life to help you. Let patience have its perfect work. What is the test and trial that you are involved with? What is going on in your life that God is doing? Are you going through with grumbling and complaining? Or are you going through with patience? Put this in your outline for you. Focus under pressure is simply understanding how to deal with what is coming at us in a way that will bring about the victory. That's all it is. You keep your focus under pressure. You get that wisdom from God. And you will understand how to deal with what is coming at you in a way that will bring about the victory. Without wisdom, we are grasping at ideas to overcome problems. But wisdom will help you out. So here's how you develop your spirit. Because this is the ultimate goal here. How do we develop our spirit? First off, developing your spirit is not listening to the first thing you hear in your spirit. That's not it. That's not developing your spirit. It's obeying the first time God says something. Remember where the series looked at before. Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Because everything you hear in the spirit is not necessarily of God. The progress of spiritual development will lead you to, first off, points, times of obedience. You will look back. How many can look back in your life now? Can, oh, I obeyed God here. And remember this, I obeyed God here. And remember this choice, I obeyed God here. And you can look at these points. These are times of obedience, times you did what God said to do, and it changed your life. There are paths. This is the ways of obedience. You followed the way of, you made the choice, you set yourself in a direction, and you stayed on that path. And you followed that path out. Because God gives you points and he gives you paths. And you followed that path. And then there's purpose. The reason for obedience. The reason for obedience. There is a reason for staying in patience. The reason is it will produce endurance. It will produce your ability to stay with a thing. It will increase your ability to be in faith. You will walk in greater victory over the tests and trials that you are facing. You will walk through more Red Seas and not be attacked by so many Egyptians. If you do it God's way. If you follow the way of your flesh, your flesh can be very spiritual. Even telling you things, quoting things to you from the Bible, can be very. Remember when Jesus was tempted? After the first two fail, what does the devil do? Quotes the Bible. 
quotes the Bible. Don't think the devil or your flesh is above quoting the Bible to get you to do what they want to do. But you see, patience knows how to persevere and to stay with what it is that God has said to do. Let patience have its perfect work. It's important. We're going to look at some other situations in the Bible where people had an option in the test or trial to go the way of patience or go in another direction. Patience will produce something far better for you. And that's the direction we want to go. Patience. Not just biting your tongue and not saying what you want to say. Patience means I will stay here. I will remain in faith. I will keep my eyes on the victory. I will not doubt my God or His Word. And God will bring you to that place. God will bring you to that place. You get out of patience, folks. And even you could doubt somebody like Moses. God might have a Moses. He might have a Joshua. He might have a David. He might have a Paul. He might have these kind of people in your life. But you get into flesh, you will doubt even them if you get out of patience. And you will feel very spiritual for doing it. I know I've experienced that myself. felt very spiritual. Even quoting scriptures. Can't be doing it. Cannot be doing it. I'm wrong for doing it. Nope. Don't follow that way. Come to your Red Sea. There's no way forward, no way to the left, no way to the right. Understand this. Hang on to this promise. God does not set up traps for his kids. He only sets them for his enemies. That's it. And even the enemies will have a choice about walking into it or not. How many of y'all know if you were an Egyptian? If you had your, how many of you are not following after the children of Israel? Even if you were not an Israelite, you were an Egyptian, you, I'm, not go, I'm not going in there. God separated those waters. God made the land dry. God is the one holding them up. And I'm going to go after God's people? I'm going to walk in there? What do I think God's going to do? There are people all around and they have come up with plans to take you out of your job. Come up with plans to take you out of your position. Come up with plans to undermine you somehow. And God laughs at them. Because they cannot make a plan and bring it about if you operate in His wisdom and you stay with His patience. You cannot do it. The Bible is a thick book. Go on through it. Sit on down tonight. You've got nothing to do. Sit on down and read it. Read the whole thing. And you find one story, one story, where the enemy was able to foil the plans of God. Won't do it. Because it hasn't happened and it won't happen. Stay in patience. Let faith, let your faith be tested in that test or trial. Let your faith be tested. But come on through. Stay in that area and endure. Stay in that area and say, you know what? I am not giving in. This is what my God said to do. And this is what 
I'm going to do. And you stay with it. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you. You give us help. You give us wisdom. You speak to us. Father, you have plans for us. The enemy has plans too. He wants to stir up our flesh to get us to go in a direction that's not right. That's not good. A direction that will go against the plan of God. A direction that will go against the Word of God. Because if they can get us to go in that direction, the promise won't be fulfilled. Our patience, it does not grow. And our faith is not tested. We just go through a test or trial. Father, I thank you. You have plans for us. You have a purpose for our obedience. You lead us to points in our life that we can definitely look back at and say, this is where God led me. This is where I made that decision. From that point, there was a path that we followed, a path of obedience. And we eventually came to another point that we can think back and think, I remember that point. I remember that decision. I remember how I persevered. Or I remember that point. I remember that decision. And I remember I did not persevere. Help us not to forget these points in our life or the past that came from them. Father, we want to make those points in our life. Points where we look back and say, I obeyed, not I disobeyed. We want to see the past that came from those points as paths of obedience, bringing us into greater faith, greater patience. And through it, Father, we'll see your purpose. We can look back and say, I can see why God led me there. I can see why God brought me through that. I can see how it helped me. Boy, if I, if I had left, if I had not done, if I had changed, if I had moved... That wouldn't have happened. Help us, Father, not to forget. We may not have a Red Sea crossing in our history, but we have times, we've had points of decisions, and we had to choose being in faith or giving in and moving off of what we're holding fast to. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us to recognize these things and keep ourselves moving in a positive direction. In Jesus' name, glory to God. This morning, we have a dedication. Nikolai and Alyssa are bringing their newborn up here to be dedicated. We call him Vincenzo. Most of us will just go with Chenzo. So I'll ask them to come on up. I believe uh, some of them are still still coming, so we'll work with you guys first, and then we'll bring up the rest of the family. Is he sound asleep? Uh, well, any state of sleep is good. <laughs> We don't necessarily need him to be awake. When we dedicate a baby to the Lord, this is not a water baptism. This is not a baptism of a child. 
because it's, uh, it's up to the child to make a decision for Christ. We can't make that decision. But this is the decision of the parents to de- dedicate what God has given them, the gift that God has given them, and dedicate it back to God. It's not a giving back, God, I give you back my son, I give you back my daughter, because it's still theirs. It's under their care. It's under their jurisdiction. But it's a dedication where we dedicate ourselves and say we will raise this child up in the way of the Lord. We will raise this child up with the wisdom of God and in the ways that the Word of God teaches us. So there's uh, certain things that will, that will help them. We'll, we'll speak to them. There's certain things we will speak to their immediate family, of which I am part of that. And there are some things that we will speak to all the rest of us as the church body that are here. So first off, we speak to you guys. Do you guys dedicate yourselves to raise up Chesno in the way of the word, the way of the gospel, the way of that God shows you the wisdom and the love and admiration that he gives you? That's what you will. He's a beautiful boy. Get more beautiful all the time. We just thank God for the gift that He is. Of course, you, some of you know the story. Both of her pregnancies had some difficulties, and God brought us through each one. And we thank God for that. So, join with me as we pray over them. First, in the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for Genzo. We thank you, Father, for the plans that you have the purposes you have. Father, I thank you that you give Nikolai and Alyssa wisdom in how to raise him, how to develop the callings and the giftings of God that are on the inside of him. That, Father, he will be developed, he will find those things, and he will find his plan, his purpose, the one that you have for him down here on this earth. I thank you, Father, they pray for him every day, for his development, for his the wisdom, for the love of God that grows on the inside of him. I thank you, Father, that in them you give them wisdom that is beyond them, wisdom that comes from you to help in every situation they face. Glory to God. Ask the rest of the immediate family to come on up. Those uh, family members who came on out here to be part of this. Oh, all, all family. Yeah, come on. Everyone who came to stand with them today. In the course of raising Chenzo, as well as Lissy, but right now we're focusing on, on him. In the course of raising him, do you as relatives, as support staff for them, Promise and dedicate yourself to support them in their decisions and the things that they do. To pray for them. Pray for each of the each family member. Pray for mom and dad and the wisdom that they need. Do you dedicate yourself to this purpose all the rest of your days? That's what I do. All right. This is the rest of us for the church. As a church body, do you dedicate yourselves to lift up in prayer? 
And these parents, to lift up in prayer, Chenzo, to lift up in prayer that they would have wisdom, to lift up in prayer the gifts and callings that are on them, that we take this on as a, as a body. And do you support them in the things that they decide to do by the wisdom that God has given them? Answer, I do. All right. Father, we just we thank you that we can stand here today. And each one of us dedicates ourselves to supporting them in this purpose of raising Chenzo for the things of God. That the love of God would be stirred up. That, Father, we would be examples. That we would listen to the wisdom of God. And that, Father, we would follow the purposes and plans that you have placed inside mom and dad on how those things would be brought about. We thank you for it. We thank you for the role we get to play. We thank you for the joy we get to experience as we see these growing, growing up. The love of God and the call of God come out of them. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for taking part of this. Thank you, too, for letting us be part of this. <laughs> Prayer is a, is a daily thing, and we need to continue to pray for, for each of them. We exhort you this way with everyone that has ever been born here, and I hope you haven't forgotten. We can, we can all head back to our seats. Thank you. Don't, don't forget to keep, keep them in prayer and hold them up. Glory to God. Well, we have some praise reports. Uh, Victor is thanking God for a successful academic uh, quarter in exams. Um, he's praising God for keeping my family safe in Nigeria. All right. Haven't heard too much about them in Nigeria. That's, that's good to hear. Daryl, even though... Even though our pressure washing machine is not yet fixed, God enabled it to work long enough to complete the job before the temperature dropped and the job would have been uh, impossible to complete. So now they have the rest of the winter to get, the, get that all fixed up. He was telling us a little bit of that on, on Wednesday. Glory to God for that. And any other prayer reports that we had? Let's see anything more. All right, stand up again. Well, Father, we thank you for... Such a great time to be here, be part of this dedication service. Father, we thank you for the willingness of Nikolai and Alyssa to bring Chenzo to you and dedicate him and their purpose to you. Thank you, Father, for the things that will be growing and developing in him. We look forward to the gifts and callings that you have placed in him, becoming visible to where we can see them. Father, we don't just need to see them. We get to hear from the Spirit of God what they are. Give you the praise and the glory for it. This week, Father, we are going out into this world. We're going to encounter some pressures. We're going to encounter some tests and trials. Some things are going to go on to try and get us to move off of what you have told us to do. To cause us to doubt whether God has our best interest cause us to question or resist those leaders that he has put in our life to help us. These are all plots of the enemy 
to get us into a place where our faith is not tested and our patience does not have its perfect work. Father, we don't have to yield and we don't have to go that direction. We can stay true. I thank you for it. Thank you for the things you will teach us this week and all the things that we face. And our patience will be growing. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Well, Wednesday night we're going to be here for uh, the uh, midweek service. Now there was a... um, all up until today, there was a, a forecast for Wednesday to have some snow on it, and it all disappeared. <coughs> Sometimes it's disappeared and it's come back again. So we'll keep an eye on that, but I put all that in your bulletin for you so that you know the ins and outs of how we, we call these things. So be looking for that on, on Wednesday, but otherwise we'll be finishing up chapter, th- well, not quite finishing up, but be in more of chapter 3 of Colossians. Uh, Susan has her three books on a special over there. It's over there on the... Uh, on the uh, uh, yeah, right over there. Thank you. Thanks. The top center. It's, it's over there. She's got a little little thing. It's it's all three books for what was it? Twenty five. Three, all three books for twenty five dollars. If you want to get uh, all three, this is a Christmas special. She'll run that for the end of the month. So if you'd like to get those, if you haven't uh, gotten all of them or you have some Christmas gifts you'd like to give some folks some books, those are are right back there for you to do that. Uh, nothing else going on this weekend, but we will see some of you on. Uh, Wednesday, and the rest of you, I guess we'll see on, on Sunday next week. Have a great rest of the day, and bless some people before you go.